0: I would like to invite you, please, to turn to the book of Acts, and so we want to look at Acts chapter 4, we want to read from verse 36, we started on a series through the book of Acts, which is entitled, um, The Best is Yet to Come, and so when you study through the book of Acts, you say, well, in some instances, um, that's a strange topic, because we see God's dealings with his people in very definite ways. And we're looking at a passage like this, um, passage in some respects that are difficult to understand fully, but we're going to try and just help us to understand just how the best in God is yet to come. I believe that God is for us. I believe that God qualifies us, not because we are good, not because we do good things but because of what he's done for us on the cross and I want to preface this message on that basis and I'd like you to follow along with me today and as we read you'll understand why I'm prefacing this passage that we're a people who believe in the sovereign grace of God that's poured out upon his people and so um I'd like you to follow along from verse 36. Acts chapter 4, reading from verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned. And he brought the money and put it at the apostle's feet. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it That Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before? It was sold. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not Lied just to humans, but to God. Very important principle in the word of God. Verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried his body out. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, he said that. Yes, she said that is the price. Verse 9, Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Verse 12. The apostles performed Many signs and wonders amongst the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Collins' colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on the beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. As he passed by, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Can you pray with me, please? Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Father, um, for your voice. And I ask, Father, that you would speak to us through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I really want to speak to us this morning about the marks of a real church. And um, you'll find out in the book of Acts that, you know, when you glance back just a few chapters prior, um, this reminds us of the glory days of the church. Members of the Jerusalem church were filled with the Holy Spirit bursting at the scenes with the good news that Jesus saved. They were worshipping together, eating together, learning together, growing together, and sharing their material possessions together. In fact, it had become a commonplace, as we read here, for landowners to sell off their property and donate all their proceeds to the church. It seems like a fairy tale story, but we all know that that was a church that was in the early stages of its development. We see that God became very real to the people. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And we see that the believers entered into a new experience with God, the Holy Spirit, as he glorified Jesus within the midst of the people so that they can understand the great extents of God's love for them. So the book of Acts is a book where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit became very personal to the believers here. And so you see that the Holy Spirit is mentioned so often in the book of Acts because His value was emphasized in the relationship of the believer and it's not by accident that Peter stands up and when we go to the sin that Ananias and Sapphira had committed that he said you didn't just lie to man to us but you actually lied to the Holy Spirit so he doesn't say you lied to Jesus he doesn't say you lied to the Father he said you lied to the Holy Spirit why Because they had experienced a new and fresh relationship with the Holy Spirit. And their hearts had been opened up to God in a new and a fresh way. And so the most beautiful thing to understand this passage of Scripture is that the believers here who got saved, who got baptized in water, and who opened up their hearts to the Holy Spirit, entered into a glorious and a wonderful adventure life in him. And um, so we see within this passage some attributes, some marks of a real church. You're oftentimes heard of people who would leave one church and then they would look for another church and they would say, This church is full of hypocrites. So we're going to another one. And uh, the pastor would say, as these people come to the church, and he sits down with them and he says, why are you here? No, that church down the road, there's just too many sinful people in there. And Spurgeon, um, the great, great pastor of generations ago, uh, said that when a couple came to him and gave the same explanation why they wanted to join his church, he said, you better not join this church because um, you will actually destroy the church because just another hypocrite is basically added to the church. And he was very, very clear about that. If you are looking for the perfect church, the moment that you join the church, she will no longer become perfect. Would you say i mean to that? Absolutely. And so, you know, what I love about the church in Acts is that she was a real church. Um, you had people who really thrived in God, and you had people who struggled in God, just like you and I. There are times when I thrive in God and then there are times when I really struggle in my faith and we're all like that. and uh, that's why I say and I preface this teaching with the fact that we're here because of the grace of God and that is where we live and so we need to understand that principle as we look at the scripture here for me i want to be a part of a real church where we can talk about one another's struggles and we can struggle through it and trust god to transform and change us and this is who we are if you come to lift church you'll find real people a real church we open up our hearts to each other we talk about our failures we talk about our sins but we also talk about the grace of God. And we see that at this juncture, God decides that he wants to draw the people's attention to himself. There was a lot of fellowship going on. There was a lot of community going on. And I wonder whether the relationship was more horizontal than vertical. I wonder whether there was a danger where people enjoyed each other so much that the church could have become a club and not a church. A church's first priority is that we come together to worship Jesus. Lift is one of those churches where people need community. And oftentimes we say that if Jesus is not the center of this church, we'll become a club. We'll stay on afterwards, we'll go out to the beaches together, we'll just be a club together. But the central feature then would not be Jesus. And I wonder whether the church in Acts was in danger to slip into that. However, when you look at history, when we look at the event of Ananias and Sapphira, as they lied to Peter, the other men, and when the scripture says, that when they did that, they actually lied to God, to the Holy Spirit. When you look at that, you will see that it was the beginning of a new age for the church. And when you go back all throughout Scripture, whenever, or should I say oftentimes, when there was a new season approaching, God would deal very definitely with his people. You remember when um, Adam and Eve sinned, God banished them. From the garden, a new era started. You know, you'll also find out when the Ten Commandments were given and the people rebelled against Moses, God dealt very definitely with the people of God. You'll also see that when victories was given to the Israelites and Achan, deceived the leaders of the day and he took some of the spoils for him when he should have just left them there. God came and dealt very definitely with him so that his son would not affect the rest of the nation of Israel. And so you can go into history and have a look at those accounts. I think that this is one of these accounts where God in the beginning of a new age when His grace was poured out, when people had a personal relationship with God, that God said, I want to speak to my people and they need to know what it means to serve me. I think it is very easy for us to become casual in our faith. That means we are pretty subjective when it comes to our worship. Not objective in the sense that we seek God, but as it suits us, so we act, and so we do. I wonder whether that wasn't one of the cases here. And so I want to preface today that God does not deal with us all the time like this, but he does warn us to be very careful how we live as believers and to take him seriously to walk circumspectly before him. But the beautiful thing is God always brings the positive, and he doesn't just leave us with the negative. And here we'll see that the first mark of a real church is that is characterized by selfless worshipers. Glorify God. I love that, don't you? And of course, the great example that's given to us is that of a man named Barnabas here. But his first name was Joseph, he was a Levite, and He was part of the Cyprian order of the Levites. It wasn't as conservative as the other group of Levites. And you'll find out that um, he actually could own land. Other Levites could not own land. And we see that from his wealth, he sold that piece of property. And he donated all of that to the church laid it at the apostles' feet and he said, use it for the sake of the needs of the church. When you look at Barnabas, you'll find out, and that is what he was named, he's called Son of Encouragement. And he was quite a unique man because you'll find out that not only... Do we notice him in this passage of Scripture? But he becomes a key figure within the church of Acts. Noted mostly when Paul got saved. And as Paul got saved, Scripture says that the other apostles were afraid of him because Paul persecuted the church. But the first person to take an interest in Paul, to go to him, to bring him to the other apostles and to the people of the church was Barnabas, the son of encouragement. But then we see a little bit later on that also within the church in around Acts chapter 11, he, together with the others, steered the church further into the work of God. God used him a little bit later on in the book of Acts. But then, significantly, we see that in Acts chapter 15, when Paul refused to take John Mark with them, I think it was their second missionary journey, Barnabas stepped in and Barnabas said, "Uh uh-uh, Paul, you're being way too severe with John Mark. And Barnabas said, I will take John Mark with me. And there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And so we see that Barnabas took John Mark and gave him a second chance. God is a God of the second chance, and he used this character called Barnabas. My friends, the church, a real church, is marked by people like him. And the most wonderful thing, as has spoke so clearly and so wonderfully, Lift is a church that is marked by a people just like Barnabas. I've seen people who go through difficult times encountering Barnabases within our church, and that helped them to push through the difficulties. My friends, if you are looking to be a part of a church, don't look further than lift because you'll find so many Barnabases here. And the church needs that. So we see in the midst of a period of time when the church was growing, we also see that there were believers who were marked by characters like Barnabas. He was generous and he gave John Piper comments on this passage and he says, That the two marks or characteristics of those believing in Jesus, firstly, is that the heart is loosened in relationship to things. And the other was that their hearts were tightened in its relationship to people. Loosened in relationship to things, to stuff, to money and possessions and tightened in their relationship to people. This was Barnabas. That's the area where God wants all of us to grow into. And I think it is very relevant for us who live in Switzerland that very quickly our lives can be controlled by stuff, by money, by possessions, by comforts, Because we have the means to enjoy them and God wants us to enjoy them. But the moment that our lives are controlled by these things, we can get into trouble. But God wants us to grow in relation to people and him. May God loosen our lives so that we can grow together in him. So we see that this is Barnabas. The church was characterized also by his personality, by his faith, by his nature. God used Barnabas mightily as the church grew. But sadly so also the church was marked by self-seeking worshipers that tested God. Probably one of the harder passages of scriptures to teach on. But that's the beauty when you go through a book of the Bible. We can't choose on what we want to preach on and what we don't want to preach on. And so um, I chose to speak on this one this morning. But I do believe that there is a redeeming value when we look at the lessons that we learn from Ananias and Sapphira. And so we see that Ananias and his wife Sapphira came into the fellowship of believers. I don't know what their true spiritual state was. That can be debated. But the fact was that they were amongst the Christians within the church. They saw what had happened with Barnabas, and they saw that he had sold a field, brought it to the apostles' feet. And as a result, people were talking about that act. They saw it, and for some reason they thought, well, let's sell a piece of property, let's bring it to the apostles, but we're not, we're going to say that this is how much we paid for it, and give the money, but the Bible says they actually lied. And the sadness about that passage of Scripture that this was a free will offering that the people brought, they didn't have to do it. They were free to do it, and they were free not to do it. So it was merely their choice. And yet, for reasons that you and I can understand, because sometimes we find ourselves in those positions too, they came and they also wanted the acclaim that Barnabas got. And they stood in a place of hypocrisy. When you look at Jesus in the Gospels, that when people came to him who were sinful, he opened up their hearts, his heart to them. He stretched out his hand to them. He brought them in and he joyfully restored their lives. Jesus loves sinners. And that's how you and I came to him, because he loves us. However, with the Pharisees, the Bible says that they loved to do things, but to do things to be seen. And scripture calls them hypocrites, those who are play actors. And Jesus dealt severely with them. It is very interesting that in Scripture, names reveal a lot about the person. And in this regard, we see that Ananias actually means Jehovah is gracious, the Lord has favor. And I think that is what their lives could have represented and should have represented. But they had a choice and they took the wrong choice. Sapphira actually means beautiful. And so it wouldn't be a bad thing to name your children Sapphira, or your sons, Ananias. A wonderful meaning. You know, and oftentimes in Scripture, as I say, there was a prophetic blessing upon those people. And I believe that there was a prophetic blessing and a prophetic call upon Ananias and Pharaoh. That's why they find themselves within that place. But sometimes through choices that we make, we can go down a road that is not great. And this is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. John Papa says, The great sin of Ananias and Sapphira was hypocrisy, which is a variation of lying. The hypocrite is a play actor pretending to be someone he or she is not. The word hypocrisy comes from the Greek theater and referred to the practice of putting on a mask and playing a part on the stage. I don't know if you watched a little bit of tennis. Some of you watched a little bit of tennis yesterday. Okay, good. Did you guys watch the match between um, Nick Kyrgios and Tepi Fass, the, the Greek guy? Any of you watched that match? Okay. At the end of the match, Nick Kyrgios won. And um, apparently, he's got a new tattoo, which reads, Give a man a mask, and he will become his true self. And if you know Nick you know that he's quite a performer. Plays to the crowd, wears his heart on his sleeve. And um, we see. That that is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They put on their masks and they wanted to play a part. That they uh, played and actually their true self was revealed. What was the four things that were wrong with Ananias and Sapphira? Firstly, they loved money. Nothing wrong with money. Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of it. We see that Ananias and Sapphira loved their money. Horton says, sadly, once the love of money takes possession of a person, there is no evil that he cannot or will not And again, we find that in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to look more generous than they really were. They lied, not just to man, but to the Holy Spirit. And this always comes with hypocrisy. They discredited the Holy Spirit. How was Barnabas different? He did not love money or things. He did not want to appear more generous than what he was. Therefore, he did not not lie. He loved the truth. He could be trusted. Yes, even his integrity became legendary in the early church. People trusted Barnabas. The reality is that there are times when you and I play the role of Barnabas. And there are times, if we're brutally honest, we play the role of Ananias and Sapphira. I know that if you're incredibly self-righteous, you'd say, well, I've never put myself in that position. I think that there are times that some of us do, and um, we require mercy and the grace of God. One part that we do not need to miss within this part of Scripture is this, that Ananias and Sapphira had an opportunity to come clean, which they didn't. Remember, Peter came to them and asked them a question. Is this not what you did? Is that what you did? It was the opportunity for them to come clean with God, to repent. I believe that God, there and there, would have restored them through his wonderful grace and mercy. Do you believe that? Of course, otherwise, you and I would not be sitting here today. We're recipients, all of us, of the tender, loving mercies and grace of God. I want you to hear that today. But they didn't do it. They kept things back. Never keep things back from God. Give Him your whole heart. Don't give Him part of your heart. Just give everything to Him. And then when we make errors, my friends, we will rush towards God. God's grace causes us to rush towards him, not run away from him. When we sin, my friends, run towards God. He will never push you away, but run towards him. We know that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? The first thing they did was they ran away. They uncovered themselves. They were naked and they ran away and they saw their nakedness. My friends, I want to encourage you when you sin, don't run away from God. Deal with things quickly. Don't leave it for long. In this instance, God judged them right there and then. And I was looking for a theological reason why God did that. And I can't come up with one. There are times when God does it. Why? Because if we understand that God is sovereign and that he is God, God would do what he wants to do when and where. He doesn't need my or your permission. He doesn't need our theology to give him the permission to do it or not. Amen? He's God. I've learned that. I can't explain all of these things. Why is it that God judged them and he didn't judge me for my sin? (laughs) At particular stages within my life. I don't know. I just bring it down to the mercy and the grace of God. And I can just say thank you. I remember a time in the previous church that I led. We led that church for 16 years. And we had just gotten there, and I started a series on David. And we taught through the book of Samuel. And within the church there, um, I started preaching. And I got to the place where I started to talk about David and Bathsheba. And it's a similar situation to this today because it's one of those very difficult passages to speak on. And this one is so tough to speak on because the people who should feel guilty right now are not feeling guilty. And the people who shouldn't feel guilty are the very people who are feeling guilty. Isn't that a paradox of life? My prayer this week was that the people who should respond to Ananias and Sapphira and to what God did, I pray, Lord, And if it's me, would you please help me to respond? Twice this week before I prayed, before I prepared this message, and as I was preparing this message, I went before God, not out of fear, but out of a deep reverence and respect for God. I just said, Lord, if there's areas within my life, would you please reveal it to me before I speak on Sunday? I want to walk with a clear conscience before God, even when I speak on these things. Because this is a heavy passage of Scripture. But my friends, I think in some sections of our lives, we need to hear God's rebuke over us today. And he rebukes them for their casualness, that they took their faith. Because we're a people of grace, what can happen is we can become casual about our faith. And God wants us to understand that today. And That's why we're going to break bread together in just a little while. We break bread together as a church. We have a smile on our faces because I believe we should do that. It's not a funeral. It is a resurrection event where we worship and glorify Jesus. But in that passage of Scripture, we'll see a little bit later, Paul speaks to the church and he says, you can't do it casually. And he rebukes them for casual faith. He says, if you, you need to examine yourself. He says, the problem is when you don't examine yourself, you come under the judgment of God. That's in that passage of scripture. And so we do not need to take God casually. And so this week, I really made sure, and I said, Holy Spirit, reveal things to me within my life that you may not be pleased with. I know you love me. I know that if I die today, that I'll go to heaven. And I know that I've been covered by the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus. But still, Lord, I want to please you in my lifestyle as a Christian. And so we understand this within the scripture. And so as I started to speak upon David, it was the first year within the church there. I got to David and Bathsheba and I started to speak on that passage. Of scripture. But I can remember trembling. Trembling. As I was preaching that script, trembling even more as I was preparing, similar to the way I feel today and this week. And as I preached on the sin that David committed with Bathsheba, and you will know that what happened was that um, David killed Bathsheba's husband. We know that he should have been on the battlefront, but he chose to stay at home and he sent other people. Big mistake that he made. He was casual about his commitment and responsibilities. And then later we saw that Bathsheba had David's child. And as I preached that scripture, I just felt within my heart that someone was sitting in this congregation to whom it was so real. And probably not just one, but many. We had a reasonably large church there. And so the nice thing was, I guess, that you never see good people out when you spoke on something. And it was that Tuesday that I got a phone call from a prominent businessman. And he said, Piet, can I come and see you? I said, absolutely. And he walked into my office. He sat down and he broke down in tears. And he said, God spoke to me. He says, I'm David. I'm David. I'm having an affair with another woman. She's pregnant and she's pregnant with my child. I don't know what to do. And we started a journey with that man whereby God restored his relationship with his wife, acted with absolute integrity with the woman that he got pregnant and his child with her. And today, they are church leaders within a church. Isn't that wonderful restoration? But what this man did was, he was severely convicted by the Holy Spirit. He came and he made right. Sapphira and Ananias, could have been that businessman. And Anias and Sapphira could have been you and me. Just one more story about myself is that I remember in ma- a trick when I wrote my exams, we were um, uh, 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 writing the exams on drawings. What did you call that when you draw technical drawings? Thank you, Kima. And w- uh, I remember at the end of the, the as we started this paper, Um, our teacher, Mr. Erickson, I still remember his name. He said, guys, I'm going to leave the classroom now and I'm leaving you guys to yourselves. And um, in the technical drawing room, what the guys did and some of the girls who took it at that stage, few those years, um, the guys started to swap their papers and look at one another and copy their drawings. And I came to know Jesus at a very young age, incredibly sensitive conscious, And I remember sitting there, and starting to look around. And, and I was tempted also to look at the guy's drawings. But I chose the guy that I knew would get an A+. And so I walked over to him. He said, come on, Peter. He says, everybody's doing it. Um, that's why the teacher left. He wants us to do it. And uh, the devil said, go ahead and do it. And I remember I went and I looked at his drawings. For long enough to see what the shape should be like and as I did it there was this conviction that started within my heart and I went back and I sat and um, the teacher came back maybe a half an hour later and we completed our drawings I passed the exam I went straight from there I went to America I was in Bible college and I remember three months after I was in Bible college I sat and the Holy Spirit started to convict me my heart and I just couldn't go further with it and our goddess those days you didn't have email and I wrote a letter to Mr. Erickson and I confessed my sin to him and I said this is what I did I never heard a reply from Mr. Erickson but two years later I went back to South Africa to go visit my parents, and I made it my mission to go personally, to go and see Mr. Erickson. He was still teaching, and I walked into his classroom, and I said, did you get my letter? I never got a response from you. And Mr. Erickson looked at me, and he laughed. He said, "Peter, that's my normal thing. I want the guys to help one another. But you see, as Christians, God calls us to a higher standard. Amen? To a higher standard. In business, God calls you to a higher standard as Christians. At school, God calls you to a higher standard as Christians. In our relationships, we have a higher standard. In our relationship with our wife, we have a higher standard that God calls us to. The Holy Spirit is there to convict us. And maybe that's the practical lesson that all of us need to learn from Ananias and Sapphira. Not to overthink it, but to know that God gives us an opportunity to repent. When it talks about fear sees the whole church. My friends, I'm not afraid of God in the sense of coming to Him. I'm not afraid of someday standing before God because the Bible says that every single one will give an account of the things that we did before Him. That's what the Bible says as Christians. I'm not afraid of standing before God of what I've done. There are times when I do well and there are times when I do poorly. I'm not afraid of God. But I have a Deep sense. It's more than reverence because we can downplay this type of fear. This is the God of the universe that we're talking about. He rules and he reigns. He has always been and he always will. I worship him. He doesn't worship me. I bow the knee before him. The Bible says there will be a day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm not afraid of that day because God is real to me. Even sometimes within my sinfulness. I want to encourage you today when you sin because you will. (laughs) Let the fear of God move you to him. Let the grace of God cause you to fall towards him. Don't run away from him, because he wants you to come to him. He loves us so much. Maybe just the last point to consider is that the marks of a real church, thirdly, is that the church was marked by spirit-filled leaders that honored God. You need to see this. Acts chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? God works through leaders. He puts leaders in churches. That's God's way. Remember I said when we started with the book of Acts that we're going to look at God's will and God's way. We want to do things God's way. God does things His way. And his way is that he puts leaders within churches. People who are flawed like me. People who are sinful like me. And yet he puts us within leadership positions because he chooses. And God, for the protection of the church, put leaders in place. And we see that Peter stands up. Now, who of you remember Peter? What happened to Peter with Jesus? He said, I will never deny you, Lord. I'll stand up for you. What happens straight after that? He did ask the Lord Jesus. He meets Jesus on the beach. Jesus says, come to me, Peter. Peter said, me, Lord. He says, yes, you come. Peter comes and he's wonderfully restored. Someone once said, never follow a man or a woman who doesn't walk with a limp. Peter was a man who walked with a limp. He was not perfect, but he was restored. Never follow leaders who give the impression that they're perfect. Follow leaders who walk with a limp. And it falls on the grace and the mercy of God. My friends, there are times when leaders need to speak strongly into your life. It's for your safety. It's for your protection. It's the mark of a real church. There are times when I only speak into the lives of people as an eldership kid and I. And others when they were on eldership with us, we had to speak into lives of people. And sometimes I do it weekly. It's the hardest job. Pray for your leaders. For Peter to stand up and to do that, addressing Ananias and Sapphira. How many of you know that with in his heart and mind he remembers when he denied Jesus? God, give us more leaders like Barnabas and Peter. <laughs> This is what we trust for. I'd like you to stand now, would you please? The last point is simply, and I'm going to mention it, and we've already spoken about it. The last point is that the church was marked by a jealous God who protected his flock. And he uses you and I to do that.